uh, let's get into God's word here this morning and, and uh, excited about what the Lord has for us. Last week we started there into John 13 and we saw Jesus uh, getting down and washing the disciples' feet. And remember, it's Passion Week. We know that the Lord uh, very soon is going to be going to the cross to die for our sins. We saw that his heart, once again, was just troubled, knowing what was about to come upon him, also troubled over just Israel's rejection of him. And yet in the midst of all of that, again, he got down and he washed the disciples' feet, and then he got up and he told them, listen, if I have served you, you are to serve one another. And the Lord was doing that to set an example for his disciples then and for an example for his disciples today, that God has called us not to bury our gifts, but to use them to the glory of God and use them to serve one another. And it is indeed a glorious thing when you see the body of Christ functioning in the gifts that God has given to each one of us. We also saw the Lord there talking to them about, uh, you know, those that are bathed don't need to be washed, but only their feet need to be clean. And we talked about how in Christ we've been washed and positionally we're right with God, but these feet we have here are still on the earth and at times they get dirty. And absolutely, we need to keep an account with the Lord on those things that practically we wrestle with and bring those before the Lord and let God wash us of those things. And we look there at First John where it says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then as we got near the end of our passage last week, we saw the Lord begin to address the issue of Judas and the betrayer. And he said, listen, not all of you are clean that are in this group here. And it was referring to Judas, who this week that we will, uh, in our study today, we're going to get into a lot more detail with Judas's betrayal of the Lord. We're going to see the Lord sharing with the disciples again that this is fulfillment of prophecy. And we'll look at that prophecy there in Psalm 41. We'll see the Lord again adding to that prophecy, even telling them when this happens, it's going to happen so you know that I am he or you know that I am the Messiah. And so the Lord again laying these things out in scripture to build their faith. And we'll talk about how prophecy does that. And then we'll see Satan entering Judas. And we're going to talk about that we're going to talk about his betrayal of the Lord. Once again, we'll, we'll touch on betrayal in the last days and how the Lord said that would abound in the day we're living in today. And then from there, the Lord moves to, uh, you know, at this call for us to love one another as he has loved them and as he has loved us. And through that, he says, all will know that we are his disciples. And then finally this morning, we'll see Peter, you know, telling the Lord that uh, I'm ready to go with you. And the Lord's saying, no, you're not. You will later, but you're not now. And then telling him, listen, you're going to deny me three times. And so uh, a lot for us to look at here. So that's a little bit where we've been and where we're going. We're just going to take it a few verses at a time and just make our way down through the passage today and hopefully get all the way down through the end of the chapter. So let's start here in verse 18. Jesus is speaking, and he says, uh, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. And so the Lord was talking to the disciples about them being clean, but he said, not all of you are clean. And this is him following up on that, saying, listen, I'm not talking about all of you being clean. There's one amongst you who is not clean. There's one amongst you who is not a believer. There's one amongst you who is not saved by grace through faith in the Lord because he has not put his faith in me, even though he's right here in your midst. 
The Lord says, I know who I've chosen. And this one here, I have not chosen them. And one thing we do know about our salvation, it is the Lord who chooses. We should ask the question, well, who does the Lord choose? And it's really simple. The Lord chooses whoever calls upon the name of the Lord. And everyone who sincerely calls upon the Lord in the scriptures, this is biblically documented. Everyone who humbles their heart, whether the thief on the cross, whether they are a patriarch like Abraham or Noah or Daniel, or they're that tax collector who was a thief who humbled his heart and cried out to mercy to the Lord, whether it was one of these, you know what, women who were called out of prostitution in the scriptures, or again, any of these men that were deep into sin, all in the scripture, every single person we see in the scripture who sincerely calls upon the name of the Lord is chosen for salvation. And everyone, after that age of accountability, when they come to that place, they're responsible for their soul. Everybody who calls upon the Lord, and really even before that age of accountability, if they call out in sincerity, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord is chosen by God. And listen, we make this real simple. If you're chosen by God, you'll call on the name of the Lord. And if you call on the name of the Lord, you're chosen by God. And listen, you can go fact check it. You never see in the Bible Judas sincerely calling upon the name of the Lord. And with that being the case, the Lord says, I know who I've chosen and there's one amongst you I haven't chosen because that one is not called upon the name of the Lord. But even though that was the case, the Lord would still use Judas for God's purposes. Absolutely, he says, that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted his heel against me. And we see in the ministry of Jesus Christ over 300 specific prophecies being fulfilled in his first coming. We'll see in the next verse, the Lord says, I've told you before this would happen, so you know that I am he. And so again, we'll talk more about here in a minute, the role of prophecy in building our faith. But the Lord quotes here Psalm 41. He specifically quotes verse 9, but let's read verse 7 through 9 to get a stronger grasp of what he's conveying here. It says there back again, a psalm written hundreds of years before this time. He says, all who hate me whisper together against me. Against me, they devise my hurt. I remember the Lord had first come to the Jews, and yet the Jewish leaders at this point, they've rejected Christ, and they're whispering against the Lord. They're trying to devise the Lord's end. He says in verse 8, an evil, uh, an evil deceased, they say, disease clings to him, and now that he lies down, he will rise up no more. Well, they were wrong about that. And then verse 9, he says, even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. And just as the Lord's saying, I know who I've chosen, and the scripture says, all who call upon the name of the Lord, all who choose to call upon the name of the Lord are saved. Listen, Judas chose, chose not only to call upon the name of the Lord, he chose to do what he was doing here. He chose to reject the Lord, even though he had walked with him for three and a half years, even though he had heard the teachings of the Lord and seen the signs and the wonders and all the things the Lord had done in the name of the Father to show them that he was the Messiah. And yet in all of that, he chose to reject the Lord. And really, he chose to reject the Lord over the love of money. 
The love of money he put over the love of God. Even the love of money, you could say, he put over the concern for his soul. And we've touched on this the last few weeks in speaking about Judas because, listen, we want to make application to our own lives. It would be tragic if we don't learn from Judas's error. It's tragic enough reading about Judas's error. It would be even worse for ourselves if we did not learn from his error. And boy, listen, there are temptations that come along that we need to be careful not to latch upon to because they can be to the destruction of our souls as well. 1 Timothy 6, 9 says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and to many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. And we'll see here in a minute that Jesus called Judas the son of perdition. He says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And I have to think that when Paul wrote that and the Holy Spirit moved him to pen those things, that Judas had to be somewhere upon his mind because this is a description of Judas. He was driven by the love of money to the point where he, again, betrayed the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. But how did that work out for him? Again, it pierced himself. He would go and eventually hang himself. And we know that from that hanging, he would fall and his bowels would broke, uh, you know, break open after he hung himself. So, so tragic. And it was driven over the love of money. It's not to say that money itself is not bad. Listen, there's, there's more verses in the Bible about money than really about anything else, believe it or not. And I think in part because God wants us to be good stewards with finances, but it's also God warning us not to go and worship these things, not to make these things our security, but to understand we want to be good stewards with these things, but absolutely we want God to be our security because, listen, money can come in, money can roll in, but it also can fly away. The proverb says that money, listen, it grows wings like a bird and it flies away. Has anyone ever seen that? You're like, it's flying away right now as I speak here. It's just... You know, flapping right away. So uh, we want to learn from, from this error. And it's interesting as we see the Lord here in his first coming being betrayed. It's interesting the Lord also said, and it was this very same week at the Olivet Discourse when the disciples came and asked him, what will be the sign of your coming and, and the end of the age or your second coming? And one of the things the Lord said would be a sign of the end of days and his coming would be the very same, same thing he experienced at his first coming, and that would be betrayal. In Matthew 24, 10, when he's listing all these various things, he says, then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. And, and have you guys noticed that it seems that hate is on the rise in our culture today, in our world? Uh, is, it, is it just me, or do you see that too? And, and betrayal's on the rise as well. In, in uh, Mark's gospel, Mark even gave a little more detail when it became to betrayal in Mark 13, 12. Again, the same sermon Jesus was speaking, and he says, Now brother will betray brother to death, and a father is child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. He says, And you'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. And so, listen, betrayal, he says, would be on the rise, and then even more so, It'd be on the rise in Christendom, that even all the more, if you're going to stand for the cause of Christ, there's going to be people that are even close to you 
that are going to betray you. Because no doubt, as the spirit of Antichrist has just gotten thicker and thicker, listen, there's more of a line drawn in the sand than there ever has been before as the Lord brings this dispensation, this era that we are living in to an end. And men are being forced to choose. Do you want the Lord or you don't want the Lord? And again, we see the enemy trying to dig in his heels and and make the dividing point, again, the issues of the gospel and the word of God and so forth in our culture. And as a result of that, there's more and more betrayal. One thing again, and we touched on this a lot last week, when you are betrayed by others, it is so, so important that you do not let bitterness set into your heart. Do not let betrayal give birth to bitterness in your soul. Because when that happens, listen, the enemy of our soul gets a double victory. And in all of this, we never see our Lord getting bitter. We never even see him talking bad about Judas. We see the Lord dealing in facts. But even on the night, a few days later, or even that later that evening, when Judas would come in and betray the Lord, the Lord would still call him friend. And no doubt it was the Lord's hope to the very end that Judas would come to that place of repentance. So even this morning, if you're in that place where someone is hating you, where someone has betrayed you, I cannot encourage you enough to bring that before the Lord and ask the Lord to help you. Ask the Lord to help you just to forgive them, to move forward. And listen, you can do that knowing that the Lord knows the pain of betrayal. Again, notice there in Psalm, the Psalm he quotes, he says, even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted who I ate my bread has li- who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Again, my familiar friend who ate my bread. The Lord says, "We didn't share bread. He ate my bread. I provide brought that bread. He didn't even bring the bread. He ate my bread." This familiar friend. What's he done now? He's lifted up his heel against me. And listen, you can strike a whole lot harder with a hill than with your fist if you get the right angle. And he's trying to destroy the Lord. And so the Lord knows the pain of that. But listen, the Lord also knew that this was part of his plan of redemption. The Lord knew that this would be used for his glory. This would be used for the salvation of so many. This would be used, again, for his good, for our good. And you got to remember, even in the midst of betrayal, when that comes your way, that God works all things for good for those that love him and are called according to his purposes. Can we say amen to that this morning? Now, verse 19, he says, Now I tell you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. And so again, Psalm 41 was in the process of being fulfilled. And the Lord says, this is being fulfilled right now. And I'm telling you again, before it's completely fulfilled, that it's going to be fulfilled. So it's kind of like the Lord's prophesying about prophecy. And I'm telling you this now so that when it happens, you're not discouraged. But instead, when it happens, you'll believe that I am he. You'll believe that I'm Messiah. Instead of your faith being shipwrecked over this, your faith then would be built up. You'd be built up with the Lord seeing prophecy unfold. So much of the scripture is prophecy, and the Lord has placed that in the word of God in part to build our faith, to know that he is God. He is God above all gods. He, as it says there in Isaiah 46, excuse me, 46.10, he declares the end from the beginning, and there is none like him. And listen, again, as we just touched on in the ministry of Jesus in his first coming, 
Over 300 prophecies are fulfilled. This prophecy about his betrayal was given specifically. Not only that, that again, he would be, tr- be betrayed by his f- familiar friend, but it was even prophesied he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Specifically prophesied. And then prophesied that after that one would take his life, that another would take his place, another would take his office. I personally believe that that was the Apostle Paul. It was also prophesied that, and, and Jesus gets into it here in a minute about Peter denying the Lord. He says, when the shepherd is struck, the sheep will be scattered. Talking about not only would Judas betray him, but when he would be arrested, even his disciples would be scattered. Even though they said, we'll never be scattered, we'll be with you to the end. It was prophesied they would be scattered. And it was also prophesied that he would come to his own and his own would receive him not. Talking about the nation of Israel. That's just one little area prophesied about hundreds of years earlier that specifically came to pass. Not to mention his death and resurrection, which is, you know, pretty awesome that the Bible says this would happen beforehand. And it would happen for the forgiveness of your sin and make a way of salvation for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord. Now we got to know as well that we are living in prophetic times today. And we talk about it often, the regathering of Israel in the last days. That is prophecy fulfilled, and as we've seen that uh, has come to pass, that should be something that builds our faith. A nation that, again, has been persecuted unlike any other people for 2,000 years, and listen, some of that persecution unwarranted, some of that persecution coming because of having a stiff neck against God, and yet in all of it, God sustaining that people and bringing them together against all odds after a holocaust, trying to snuff them out and birthing a nation in a day, specifically as the Bible said what would happen, that should be something that builds your faith. The fact that that land was a wasteland before Israel was brought back in, and the Bible says that it would be a land of fruitfulness in the last days, and it has become that. Prophecy after prophecy, so many fulfilled there in Israel, and that should be something that you're aware of that builds your faith. And then again, that all of the discourse when the Lord said these things would happen in the last days, and so many of those sayings are things that would be discouraging If we didn't understand, wait a minute, these things were prophesied so that we won't be discouraged when we see them happening, but instead our faith would be built up. Again, even the fact that he said in the last days, many would betray one another and many would hate one another. That's very discouraging in itself. But when you recognize the Bible said specifically this would happen, it also says many would be offended. And boy, just about everyone's, you know, oh, I'm offended. Let me just find something to be offended by. I can feel righteous if I am offended by somebody. Oh, man, it drives me crazy. Like, thicken up your skin, man. Get over it. But the Bible said it would happen that way. It says the love of many would grow cold. We see that happening around us. Love towards the truth growing cold, love towards God growing cold, and so many, their love towards one another growing cold. The Bible said that the earth would be full of turmoil, and I guess specific examples that we see happening in these days. It says there would be wars and rumors of wars, and we see that happening in these days. And it says that there would be grand deception, and you see that happening in these days. You see it happening in the church with so much false teaching, and you see it happening in the culture. I don't know if any of you guys have seen this new software where they can take an individual and the software studies the face movements and everything of a person, 
And then you can take another person and the software will study them. And then it can transpose their face and their image on another individual. You should look at this on YouTube. It's freaky. You can't even tell that it's not that person. And so it makes you wonder with, again, uh, the media and, and with governments and so forth, Maybe there's already things that have happened. Like, I'm not trying to stir up the conspiracy. You know, people are getting their tinfoil hats here. But Jesus said there'd be great deception. There'd be great deception. And boy, it seems that there are means to deceive unlike any other time in the history of the world. And so again, he told them, listen, this is, this is something that will, will make you sorrowful. But if you know that The Bible says this would happen before it comes to pass. Listen, that's meant to encourage you. That's meant to build up your faith. One other area of prophecy that we got to be aware of is that of our own soul. That the Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's prophecy concerning your soul. The Bible also prophesies, though, that if you reject him, he'll grind you into powder. If you reject him, again, you're not going to be brought into the kingdom of God, but you're going to be under eternal damnation in your sin. And you better believe, just as all these other prophecies are accurate, the prophecies about your soul are accurate. Have you called upon the name of the Lord? Can you say amen to that? Then listen, you can need to know, you need to know that the prophetic word that all who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved is true concerning your soul. Rejoice in that this morning. Verse 20, it says, Most assuredly I say to you, He who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. And I think the Lord taxes us on here because, again, these aren't just disciples here in this upper room. These are apostles. An apostle means one who is sent. And these would be the men, these 11 would be the men who the Lord would send out. And again, later on, Paul would become an apostle. These would be the men the Lord would send out to really help build the church, the beginnings of the church and so forth. And he's telling them here, listen, I'm going to send you out. There's 11 of you here that are clean. There's one that is not. And when I send you out, you need to know whoever receives you as you're sent out in my name with my message, they receive me. And not only do they receive me, they receive him who sent me. And the Lord today, as he even sends out servants in his name, when we receive one another's Jesus-led ministry, we receive the Lord and we receive the Father. Interesting, I don't have time to read it, but if you're taking notes in Matthew 10, 40 through 42, the Lord talks about he who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall also receive a prophet's reward. And then it says, he who receives a righteous man shall receive a righteous man reward. And when we're receiving ministry, others that are sent out, again, sent out in the name of the Lord, we need to know that, again, not only receiving the Lord and the Father, we're receiving a reward in that. And that's encouragement for us, again, to use our ministry, to be hospitable, to, again, to, to interact and fellowship with one another. Little side note with this, though, later on, when John would write his epistles, he talks about those who we shouldn't receive. Because I know this, again, the Lord sends out servants, and we need to receive those servants, but the devil is an imitator, And the devil in like manner sends out a lot of folks. And we need to be careful not to receive them because in that we may be receiving the enemy as well. Again, not in a possession, but we may be welcoming in his antics 
if we get into this place of just saying, you know, kumbaya, all who come, we're going to receive and embrace what you have to bring here. It's not that we're to, again, be unhospitable, but there's a difference between ministering to someone and receiving what they're peddling. In 1 John 1, 9, John would write, or 2 John 1, 9, 9, excuse me, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, notice here, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. And this is something that is a very weighty truth and unfortunately a whole lot of people give no heed to whatsoever. I throw that out there right now because that's going to set up some more things we're going to talk about here. But in verse 21, the Lord says next, or it says next, when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in his spirit and testified and said, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And we see in this Passion Week, the Lord on multiple occasions being troubled and grieved in his soul over things that were unfolding. And listen, make no mistake, the Lord is troubled in this betrayal, not over his own person being betrayed. He knew this was prophesied. He knew this was part of the unfolding of God the Father's plan to bring forth redemption and salvation. The Lord was troubled over the soul of Judas. He was troubled over the choice that Judas was making. Again, in Matthew's gospel, it's recorded that the Lord said in Matthew 26, 24, he said, the son of man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And then in John 17, 12, Jesus calls Judas the son of perdition, and perdition, it means hell. He's a son of hell. It would have been better if that man had never been born. And think about this. The guy walked with the Lord for three, three and a half years. He had the money box. He pilfered from it. He thought he was getting away, away with it. And yet the Lord let him continue on with him, ministering to him, having a heart for him, but knowing what would be his outcome, being God, knowing the end from the beginning. And now it's all coming to a head. And no doubt this was troubling the Lord. It was grieving the Lord. Because as we've seen so many times in John, John didn't come, or Jesus didn't come to destroy. But he came to save. He came not to damn or condemn, but to bring salvation and to set men free because we're already condemned. So he came to make that way of salvation and dying for our sins. And yet here's Judas who's walked with the Lord and he's choosing hell over salvation. And the Lord knows that hell is real. The Lord knows that hell is eternal. The Lord knows once you're there, you're not coming out of there, that you've made your choice here in the valley of decision and it troubled his heart. This would be the picture again of Someone you love walking in self-destruction. Someone you care deeply about selling out their soul for a few coins. Think about your own child. And think about, again, someone you love as dearly as a child who you spent so much time with and you've invested so much in and you've prayed for them and ministering to them and seeing them continuing to 
reject the Lord and go their own way. It grieves your heart. It troubles your heart. Hopefully it troubles your heart to do something about it, to get on your knees and pray and intercede and lift that situation up to the Lord. And praise God, we outside of scripture don't know the end from the beginning. I'm thankful for that because listen, uh, that stirs our hope, right? But that's what's going on here. And the Lord's grieved over it. He's troubled over it. The Lord is grieved and troubled when men reject him for anything else. And it just shows how wonderful our Lord is. 22 through 25, it says, Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore mentioned to him to ask who, who it was of whom he spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? And listen, this was the right response. Their concern. They began to look at one another. The Lord says, one amongst you is going to betray me. Here's the Lord with this 12, whom, again, they've walked together almost probably just about every day for the last three plus years. They're thinking they're all in on this together. They think they're all on the same page. And then all of a sudden, the Lord says, one of you is going to betray me. And they're, they're concerned. They're perplexed. No doubt they're thinking, who could be so foolish to do such a thing? After everything we've seen, after everything we heard, weren't you there, man, when Lazarus was raised from the dead and he did it in the name of the Father? Yeah, you were there. And now you're going to betray him? You've seen his kindness, his love. I mean, in, the, in seeing the Lord, you see the Father. There's no sin in him whatsoever. He's ministering to you at every turn. You're seeing his compassion and his mercy and his power and his might all at the same time. And you're going to sell him out. You're going to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. They're perplexed about it. And Matthew's gospel, in Matthew 26, 20 through 25, it says that, the Lord tells them again that, that he's exceedingly sorrowful and he says one of them is going to betray him. And they begin to say, Lord, is it I? And I think that's even the better response than just being perplexed about it. Being perplexed, who could do that? Well, he also, and it was probably in the process of this, the first thing they said, is it I, Lord? Am I the one? And listen, these guys knew they were capable of great evil. And don't fool yourself. Don't think, well, I'm above, you know, this temptation or that temptation. That person's over there and there. Boy, that will never be me. Listen, if you're putting your confidence in yourself, that's fool's gold. Put your confidence in the Lord. Lord, you keep me. Lord, I pray that you won't lead me into temptation. And I know some people get all, you know, oh, we got to change that. The Lord never leads us into temptation. Yeah, but there's times when we want to be led into temptation. So, Lord, don't lead me into temptation when I'm wanting to be led into temptation. Lord, keep my soul. Protect me. Lord, I know that I'm capable, God, of so much wickedness. I know this, that if my salvation wasn't secure in the Lord, if it wasn't a thing that eternal life starts at faith, if I could lose my salvation, I know in myself, I will lose my salvation. 
Because salvation is predicated on perfection, and that is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So the first thing they did is step back and start saying, is it I, Lord? Am I the one? Versus, oh boy, I bet, I bet it was Peter. It's got to be Peter. He's always, it's got to be him. He's always getting ahead of the Lord. No, the first thing they said, is it I? And then it's interesting here. It says, the one who Jesus loved was leaning on the Lord. And listen, almost all commentators and historians believe that this was a reference to John who wrote this book. He was referring to himself. I'm the one who Jesus loves. John, who was probably Jesus' cousin, if you land up all the gospels it talks about the cross mary and her sister were there then later in john's gospel it says mary and salome was there who was john and james's mother so here's his cousin here who before was identified as a son of thunder someone who would thump people someone who would again rough someone up this was a rugged fisherman that's how he was identified as and that's what he accepted as his identification now he identifies himself as the one whom jesus loves and listen that's the power of the lord to transform us so simon seeing that john was the closest to jesus and i'm thinking this is after they all say is it i lord Simon across the room sees John and says, hey, ask Jesus who it is. That's what's going on here. It's pretty funny. And so the Lord said, or John turn, turns to Jesus. He's closest to him, and they're probably huddled up in a small room here. And he says, Lord, who is it? And 26, Jesus answered, it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. And this is frightening because the Lord is, uh, is, is introducing and, and bringing forth communion. And putting it forth now as something that we're to practice and do in remembrance of him. In this upper room, it's where he's teaching them that I'm the Passover. I'm the fulfillment of Passover. And really taking the bread and dipping it into the, the, the cup there, it's Judas taking communion and then turning right around and betraying the Lord. And we're told in Scripture that, listen, we're not to take lightly the communion table. And yet, listen... He's not only taking the communion table lightly, he's taking the Lord lightly. He's taking the, the warnings of God and the message salvation lightly. He's just caught up in, again, this pursuit of the love of money. But let's make sure because, listen, 1 Corinthians in 11, 27 through 31, we get that warning. There in Corinth, there were some people taking communion without a heart of reverence. There was a lot of shenanigans going on there in, in Corinth when it came to the time of communion. And they weren't taking it with uh, humility. Uh, it seems that they were even taking it with grudges towards one another. I'm a Paul, I'm an Apollos. There were there's divisions here. And he says, in doing that, listen, that's the reason why there's some amongst you who have died. 
This is in a New Testament setting. And there's others amongst you that there are sick because they are not partaking of communion in a worthy manner. And then he goes on to tell them, listen, if you judge yourself, you won't be judged. And it's so important that we, when we come, we should do this every day. And especially when we come to partake of communion as we do here on the first Sunday, that we step back and we examine and we judge our heart. And we say, what am I loving? Am I loving something more than the Lord like Judas? Or are there people that I haven't forgiven as the Lord has forgiven me? And that we, again, deal in truth with the Lord. And then listen, when those things are there, beautifully, all we need to do is simply bring them before the Lord. God, I have a struggle here. I got an issue here, Lord. I confess, God. I ask, is it I? And it is I. So Lord, help me in this. I I, I don't want to make light of the cross of Calvary. I don't want to make light of you bearing the wrath of my sin upon your back by partaking of this. In, in, in a manner that's, that's, that's not acting as, it, as if I'm worthy of these things because I'm walking in rebellion that you died to save me from. And then upon taking the bread, it says Satan entered Judas. Judas was demonized. Really, in the scriptures, when it talks about demon possession, it means to be demonized. And I think when people think about demon possession, a lot of times they think about just The enemy has come in and just completely taken over that individual. But really what's conveyed in the scripture more is demonized or a devil will come upon somebody. And you see that with King Saul where he'd be going along. Then all of a sudden, you know, a a spirit would come upon him. He'd be like, oh, you know, doing well. And maybe David's playing the harp. And then all of a sudden the spirit comes on him. He's throwing spears at people. Like, where'd that come from? Dude got demonized. And this is something that, again... Judas allowed to happen. Judas was tempted with the love of money. Lust began to be birthed in his heart for money. That lust brought forth sin. And then somewhere before death setting in, he got demonized. And people ask, how does someone get demonized? How does someone get, if you want to call it, demon-possessed? Listen, it's the embracing of sin. It's rebellion. We talked about it last week in the life of the believer, Ephesians 4.26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. And it's not saying there that a Christian could be demonized or demon-possessed, but absolutely a Christian can be demon-oppressed. And how many times as believers... Do we allow allow that to happen because we let the sun go down on our sin? We let the sun go down on our wrath? We let the sun go down on our unforgiveness or our bitterness? And there's some people that becomes the pattern of their life over and over and over again. And the enemy just gets a stronger and stronger foothold upon them to the point where they're bearing little to no fruit where there's no power of the Lord there, they're not only, again, allowing the enemy to get a stronghold on their life, at the same time, they're grieving the Holy Spirit. And listen, if that's you this morning, it's time to break free from that. It's time to deal with that sin issue, to confess it before the Lord, to genuinely repent of it, to ask the Lord to wash you, to wash your feet, and to give you a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. And listen, he'll set you free. He absolutely will. With Judas, though, listen, he was under the sway of the wicked one, as 1 John 5, 19 says. And again, that temptation had brought forth a desire 
It brought forth sin. It brought forth him being demonized. And then soon, it's going to bring forth, again, his spiritual death was there, but physical death is about to set in. And so with all this, the Lord says, listen, do this quickly. It's the Lord's hour. Satan was on the Lord's clock, not the other way around. God's timing always prevails. Verse 28, but no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately and it was night. Now listen, the Lord said this right in front of all of them. It was real clear. Who is it? Is it I, Lord? Then Simon over to John, hey, ask who it is. Lord, who is it? It's the one who I give, who, who again, I, I dip the bread in and give it to him. And what's the Lord do? He dips the bread and he gives it to Judas. And he says, go do what you're gonna do. And they still didn't get it. Hear this this morning. There is a fine line between believing the best and being naive. Love believes the best. It believes all things until it knows the facts, until it knows better. Being naive, being ignorant, being undiscerning, hear this, it's not a godly quality. And yet it runs rampant in the body of Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 16, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore be wise or be as shrewd as serpents and harmless as doves. And I think this picture of the disciples at this place is a picture of so many people in the church today. The Lord says that the church would be, again, greatly penetrated with wolves and sheep's clothing, with false teachers, with false prophets, with liars and with terrors, that evil men and imposters would increase deceiving and being deceived. He even said that the church would heap up these types of individuals to tickle their ears. And so many of them parade themselves on the world stage, spewing false doctrine and false gospels nonstop, displaying works of the flesh, making disciples of themselves with no apology. And the bulk of Christianum goes right along with it, saying, who are these wolves that the Lord is talking about? Oh, yeah, I know who that is. It's that little group crying out, wolf, wolf, beware. I'm telling you, that's the case. Again, hear this. Being naive, being ignorant, being undiscerning is not a godly quality. <laughs> and yet it seems that it's promoted nonstop. Well, I don't know their heart. Yeah, you don't, but you can judge the fruit and the doctrine. Again, always start with your own. They're thinking, though, there's no way it's Judas. That's my boy. You know, he's one of us. Disciples for life, you know. <laughs> Surely he's just going to get some more food. And this is a little insight. They were thinking, well, maybe Jesus told them to go give something to the poor. The fact that they would think that shows that the Lord oftentimes would go and give something to the poor, even though in his ministry he was poor himself. Listen, that's a good pattern to follow, amen? The Lord said that it's more blessed to give than receive, Acts 20, 35. And then so Judas goes out immediately, and it says, and it was night. 
And I don't think that's just out of there. We already know it's evening. I think it's out of there to show again that so much darkness, so much evil is done during the dark. And I think you can judge where a culture is when those things that used to be done in the dark are now being done right out in the broad day. And that's where we're getting to as a culture here. And we need to pray for our nation. 31, it says, so when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify himself, glorify him and himself and glorify him immediately. And again, Jesus knew the hour of his glory had come, that he'd be glorified in his death. He would be lifted up so he could draw him into himself, that he would be resurrected on the third day, that he would ascend to the right hand of the Father. And all this was being done to the glory of God the Father. And he says, as this is to the glory of God the Father, and I'm glorified in that and what he's doing, again, I'm glorified in him. And so you see the Father glorified in the Son and the Son glorified in the Father because all of this was the demonstration of the love of God and his willingness to send his Son and his Son's willingness to go to the cross to defeat sin, death, Satan, and hell to make that way of salvation for all who've called on the name of the Lord. And let me ask you, have you called on the name of the Lord today? Then it's God's desire that he would be glorified in your life. Verse 33, little children, I shall be with you a little longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come, so now I say to you. And the Lord's talking here about his immediate future. Now's the time for me to go. And I know you want to go with me right now, but you can't do that right now. He'll address that more here again in a second. But in 34, he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And this whole chapter, God's setting a tone of us serving one another. He's talking about his betrayal. He's talking about his glorification. He's talking about them going away. And all this points to him laying down his life for us. And there's no greater love than one that would lay down his life for his friends. And he says, as I have loved you, as I've served you, as I am laying down my life for you, you need to love one another in that manner. And when you do that, all will know you're my disciples. Because why? You'll be doing what I did for you. You'll be following me if you love one another. And this is, this is something that we need to take heart to. We need to take heed to. First of all, to love one another, you have to be around one another. <laughs> and I know there's a place for social media and things, and that can be fine. But I don't think that's what he was talking about there as the primary, you know, ground of loving one another. The disciples walked with Jesus. They weren't texting each other all the time. Though I think texting can be a wonderful way of encouraging one another. And like with our prayer, Jane, emails can be a wonderful way of praying for one another. But listen, let's make sure it's not, that's not the, that, let's, make, let's make sure that that is a, uh, you know, at a, uh, icing on top of the cake of us getting together and loving one another and bearing one another's burdens. 
And understanding, again, the love of the Lord, it, it, it wasn't a filling, it wasn't a free-for-all, but it was love described in the scriptures. And listen, I'll just read it, and this is a description of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love suffers long and is kind. Man, he suffered long with these guys. It doesn't envy, it doesn't parade itself. It's not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked. Notice here, it thinks no evil. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And it's sad because in this day that we are living in today, so oftentimes love is associated with iniquity. Love wins, love prevails. And you see it in these camps of great rebellion and iniquity. And this idea of love is that it's just a free-for-all and do as you will. And as long as you accept that and say, well, that's not hurting me, it's fine. But listen, that sin hurts everybody. <laughs> Especially a moral sin. Listen, it's an attack on families and families are the fabric of any culture that's gonna be worth its salt at all. Oh, it doesn't hurt me. It does hurt you. It hurts everybody. Love doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. I don't got time to read it, but in 1 John 5, 1 through 3, he says, this is how you know you love me and you love others. You keep my commandments. And again, not doing that begrudgingly, but doing it willingly. I want to follow the Lord. And I want to love my brother in the Lord, that in that, the hopes would be others would say, oh yeah, they're, they're those disciples of Jesus. And be drawn to the Lord. I think, though, too oftentimes people are sadly at times repelled by disciples of the Lord because we're not walking in these matters or in these manners. And it's interesting how so many people even try to preach if you embrace iniquity, then people will be drawn. Well, they're not going to be drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ, <laughs> they're going to be drawn to another Jesus. 36 Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me. Notice here, now, but you shall follow me afterward. And again, the Lord was going to the Father, and he's giving assurance to them. Judas has left the building. He's giving assurance to those with faith, you're going to follow me after. Because you put your faith in me, and I'm going to be faithful to you. Here next week, we'll see in John 14, Thomas again uh, in verse 5 says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. I'm going to the Father. And if you put your faith in me, you're going to the Father as well. And by the way, I'm the only way to the Father. We'll get into that a lot more next week, the Lord willing. And then 37, Peter always wanted to get ahead of the Lord. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. That's a bad move, Peter. Listen, confidence should always be placed in the Lord, not in yourself. This should be the mindset. He is the king of kings. I am the chief of sinners. Who should I put my confidence in? Paul said, this is, a, this is a faithful saying. It's trustworthy. I am the chief of sinners. Oh, Paul, listen, he really knew who he was. Listen, he's saying that's, that's, a, that's a true saying about all of us. 
You better recognize Paul's not just talking about himself there. We're all to have that recognition. I'm the chief of sinners. If you break one point of the law, you break it all. Who do you want to put your faith in, the chief of sinners or the king of kings? Oh, but listen, I'm, I'm a chief, though. <laughs> He's the king. <laughs> and Peter here, again, is putting his confidence in the wrong place. I'll lay down my life for your sake. He doesn't even tack on by the grace of God. <laughs> Bad move, Peter. Interesting, at, at, at one point, James and John, it's, it's Jesus' aunt, comes to the Lord and says, well, my son wants to, they want to be on your right and left hand, the sons of thunder here, James and John. And the Lord says, you don't know what you're asking. When you come into your kingdom, let them be on your right and your, your left. The Lord came unto his kingdom on the cross of Calvary. She's saying, we really want this. The Lord said, you don't want that. You don't want that. Again, confidence in yourself versus confidence in the Lord, it's always a bad move. And we've had no generation like this that promotes self-confidence and self-love. You know one of the signs of the time in the last days, men would be lovers of themselves? You already love yourself. That's why the Lord said, love your neighbor as yourself. Because you already do that. Well, I don't love myself. Of course you do. That's why you're so obsessed with not loving yourself. Because you're obsessed with yourself. Oh, I don't love me. Me, me, me. I don't love me. <laughs> we do. Have Christ esteem, not self esteem. It's so much better, so much more healthy. Know who you are in the Lord. It's so much better than what you can muster up concerning yourself. <laughs> Finally, 38, Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall crow, shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Jesus prophesies the outcome of Peter's self-confidence. And it would unfold exactly as Jesus said that it would. The Lord would be arrested. The sheep would scatter. Peter would watch from a distance. A gal would come up to him. Hey, aren't you one of those Galileans? The Galileans had an accent. They couldn't cover it up. Aren't you one of them? Oh, no, I don't even know the man. He even says it in a cursing manner. And you see him drifting and drifting. And then you see him warming by the fire, himself by the fire. And he finally denies the Lord that third time. And he hears the cock crow. And at the same time, he looks and he sees Jesus going down one of the corridors. Again, being beat, and he catches the Lord's eye, and Peter weeps bitterly. But listen, praise God. Though Peter stumbled in his self-confidence, he stumbled being unfaithful. The Lord was faithful to Peter to the very end. Because listen, even here, even in the Lord telling Peter, you're going to deny me, he had already told Peter in verse 36, but you're going to follow me afterward. And the Lord knew what Peter was going to say. And he said, hey, I'm going to take that part back. When he gives us the assurance of our salvation, it's giving that to us, even knowing all the bonehead stuff we're going to do after we come to faith in him. Isn't he awesome? Amen. 
Sometimes I got to remind myself of that. I do another dumb thing and I'm thinking, ah. Oh. And it's like, listen, the Lord knew I was going to do this. He was faithful to me yesterday. He's been faithful to today. I know he's going to be faithful tomorrow. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's stand up and close in prayer here. Well, Lord God, we just bless you. We give you praise and glory and honor. And Lord, we do thank you, God, that you are faithful, Lord. We thank you for your great concern for our souls, God. Lord, you're more concerned about the souls of men than men are about their souls. Jesus, we thank you for the love you demonstrated towards us in going to the cross of Calvary. I pray this morning, God, we won't be found questioning your love, but we would embrace it as you have shown it to us, God. And Lord, you would help us, Lord. You would give us grace and mercy, God, to walk in that love towards you and one another, God. Let us be concerned about that, God. Let us be concerned about our witness. Let us be concerned, God, of, again, not how men judge us, but let us be concerned, God, that our light is shining, God, and help us in that, Lord. Listen, if you're here today and you haven't called upon the name of the Lord, oh, the Lord desires today to be your Lord and Savior. He desires to set you free. And beautifully, again, the Bible, the word of God declares whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And listen, you look at scripture and whoever called on the name of the Lord was saved from the most respected individual to the most vile outcast. And boy, there's a whole host of them in the word of God. All of them sinners, all of them looked at a little differently by the eyes of men, but all seen as sinners falling short of God's glory through his eyes. And all who called upon him were saved. To call on him means you're asking him to be your Lord. It means you're turning from being your own Lord. That's what repentance is. You're saying, I'm laying down lordship. And Jesus, I'm asking you to be my savior, my Lord. I'm putting my faith in you. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins and go before me. I want to yield to you. If that's you this morning and you're saying, Steve, I want to call on him. I believe. I'd love to lead you in a prayer affirming that faith that's in your heart. So I want to invite you to pray with me and as I do each week, those of you that know the Lord, I want to invite you to pray with any today that would be calling on him. Let's pray together. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I need you. I need salvation and forgiveness. And I believe you died on the cross for my sin. And I believe you rose from the grave to make a way of salvation. Save me, Lord. Be my God and my King and my Lord all of my days. Meet me where I'm at. Help me where I am. Shine your face upon me. I thank you, Lord. Lord, bless all that have prayed that prayer, Lord. And we pray right now, God, we can lift our voices up to you and just worship you and adore you as we finish this time here together. Let's worship the Lord.
Amen? Amen. Well, God bless you. Pray you have a wonderful day in the Lord Jesus Christ.